0: Shaken. Um and Father, what Ashley said earlier is true, Lord, that we you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change because you don't have to change. You have never ever 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 and you never will need to change. You're perfect just as you are. And so, Father, I pray that you would be the stability of our times. I pray that you would be the strength of hearts this morning that are weak and tired and feel like they can't go on or feel like they don't have any sure footing. Lord, I pray that you would come to them, Lord, and that you would open the eyes of their heart that they would see how glorious you are, that we do not have to be afraid because our Father is glorious. No fear. It's the command, Lord, that your your holy word repeats more frequently than any other command. Do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. And Lord, we just speak that to every heart this morning, in faith, in Jesus' name, and ask that you be glorified. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. How we doing? Good. All right. All right. First Peter, First Peter chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. Um, only five verses, but I feel like we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so I want to jump right in and read this, and we will get going. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, big statement, the end of all things is at hand. as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me one more time. Father, help this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, question for us from this text as we get started um, What would you do if you knew the exact day that the world was going to end? What would you do if you knew the world was going to end, either from Jesus coming back or from you just going home to be with Him in glory if you put your faith and trust in Him? What would you do if you knew the exact date that it was going to end? Whether that's next week. A year from now, five years from now, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, what would you do? How how would you live? Peter, I think, is asking us that question this morning with that statement at the beginning of verse 7, big statement, not just something you just throw around, but he says, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, he was one time asked, what he would do if he knew that the world was going to end today. And this was his reply. He said, I would plant a tree and pay my taxes. And you're like, what is going on? And there's more to that statement. I won't, I won't go into all of it, but, but this was his point. His point was not that planting trees and paying taxes is somehow the height of Christian maturity. But his point was that simply that, that we serve a God who has given us his word and who has clearly communicated what he expects of his children. And and what he expects of his children, as we're going to see in the text today, are are these very tangible, on-the-ground, practical rhythms that he wants us to build into our lives, not to earn his righteousness, but to reflect his righteousness. Not to earn his love, but to reflect his love. Not to earn our salvation, but because salvation has come to us. And the only thing we can do is to receive it, is to receive it by faith. And in the passage I just read this morning, Peter does a wonderful job of summing up these very practical rhythms for our life. So that whether he comes back or or whether he takes us home today, tomorrow, a year from now, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it doesn't matter that we can live with confidence and know know that we have not wasted our life. How many of you would like to waste your life? Anybody? I didn't think so. Um, I do not want to waste my life. I know that you do not want to waste your life. And Peter, uh, as all the scriptures does, but, but, but today in a very specific, pointed way, gives us some real, some real handles on how not to waste our lives. Um, but these, these very practical commands, uh, the way I kind of see this text, just to help us work through it this morning, is they're, they're wrapped inside three big theological truths, three really big truths about God, and so I want to use these as kind of markers to work through this passage, and then we'll get to the real practical stuff that Peter talks about, and hopefully it will help us to live with confidence um, that we do not need to in any way be ashamed when we stand before him someday but the three big truths that this uh, message I wanted to kind of hang on is number 1 that God has the right to determine the time of the end God has the right to determine the time of the end secondly that God has the right to determine the purpose of the end and third that God has the right to determine how we should live in light of the end but number 1 he has determined the time of the end again beginning of verse 7 the end of all things is at hand But guys, God has fixed a day when it is all going to end. Okay? He's fixed that day. He knows what it is. We don't know what it is, but he knows what it is. And he knows what the end is. I mean, the the, the end of the end. When Jesus comes back and and the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and his kingdom is here among men, and he dwells with his people. For those that have trusted him and but entrusted him, but he also knows your end. He knows when it's coming. You know, the end of the the Gospel of John, Peter says this very clearly, I'm sorry, Jesus says this very clearly to Peter, and he says, when you were young, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, another is going to take you by the hand and lead you where you do not want to go. He says, you're going to be lifted up, and by this, uh, John, in writing the Gospel, says that he told Peter what kind of death he was going to glorify God, and history tells us that Peter was crucified on a cross, but he didn't feel worthy to be crucified as his Lord, so he requested that he be crucified upside down. Jesus knew what the end was for Peter, and he knows, guys, what the end is for each one of us here this morning. And, you know, many times you'll hear people talk about, like, are we living in the end days? Are we living in the last, in the last days? Is the Antichrist on the earth today? And I want to be clear, I'm not going to go into that this morning but I do want to debunk a little something just very quickly and again I I don't want to go beyond what Peter writes but I just want to touch on it here with this phrase that he says at the end of all things is at hand and give some explanation that I would argue that according to the New Testament we've been in the last days ever since Jesus went back up to heaven over and over again throughout the New Testament the Bible the biblical writers the inspired authors speak that we are living in the last days It's not just coming, and we've not just entered into it. We really don't need to debate it. Ever since Jesus ascended, we've been in the last days. Acts chapter two, the day that the Spirit of God comes upon the church for the first time at Pentecost, Peter stands up. And he says, he stood up with the eleven, lifting up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and then he quotes from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter said, that's happening now. The last days that Joel talked about, they're happening now. Hebrews chapter one, long ago in many times and in in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, listen, but in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, James chapter five, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. For your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. Listen, you have laid up treasure in the last days. James is speaking that to his hearers at the time. It's for us roughly 2,000 years ago. So, yeah, we're living in the last days. And I think maybe the best way to illustrate this is if you have an iPhone, uh, I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not on the iPad, hopefully I can do this and get back to my notes, but most of you like on your iPhone or if you have an Android, shame on you, get an iPhone. Uh, But, um, well, that's another sermon for another day, but uh, you know, you've got like this little clock, you know, app or whatever, and you have a couple different options, but over here on the left you have the stopwatch option and you have the timer option. And the stopwatch, of course, you just, you hit start, and it just starts going. And and what I'm trying to say here, guys, is that most of us think that all of human history, world history, the history of the universe, is just running on a stopwatch. That you hit start, and it's just going to kind of go on forever. It's just going to go on forever. And yeah, you know, people come and go, but it's just, it's going to keep on going. And what I'm telling you is that that's not what the Bible teaches. That the Bible teaches that it's a timer and it is counting down. It is counting down for you individually and it is counting down for the entire world corporately. Here's the catch. We don't know how much time is left. You're like, of course, the million dollar question is, why doesn't God tell us? I would like to know. How much time is left on the timer? You know what? I better turn that off or that's going to beep in the middle of my sermon. Sorry. Done. Okay. If I could have timed that right, that would have been a cool effect. Like right at the end, beep, it goes, anyway. I'm not that good. Um, but, guys, it, it's, it, it's counting down. And it is to God. It, and what, again, my, my, my big point here, the theological truth is that God has the right to determine the time of the end. It is his right to not tell us also. And in his wisdom and in his unbelievable purposes for the advancement of his kingdom, his glory, and our good, he has done this. And I I like what Chuck Swindoll says about speaking of prophecy in the Bible. It is tantalizingly detailed yet frustratingly vague. And so, throughout all of history, you've always had people that are like, this is when he's going to come back. And of course, you know, back in the 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Anybody? Remember? Yeah. Oops. Missed that one. And throughout history, you've always had people that have done this, but it is to God's glory that he has the right to determine the time of the end. And the church of Jesus Christ throughout history has been primarily motivated by this promise of his return. And it is this enduring promise that has always spurred sacrificial service, sending, and speaking of the gospel. And is the reason why the gospel has advanced to us today, that the gospel came to us, each one of us. If you know Jesus as Savior, it has come to us in some way, shape, or form, probably because somebody somewhere was motivated by this truth of Christ's return, And here's the deal, guys, is that if we are not sacrificially serving, sending, and speaking the gospel to others, then we need to go back and determine if we are motivated by the same thing, by the same promise of his coming that brought the gospel to us. I mean, I already said this morning, like, this passage, we're going to get to it here towards the end, like, it's full of practical advice, but this book does not exist to just, like, give you a bunch of little practical things just to tweak your life. I've told you before, like we're such tweakers. Like just give me some practical things and this is all about life improvement and I'm the center of this and it's my instruction manual for life. That's not what it is. This book tells us about God and what he's doing in the universe. And what he's doing is working all things together for good to glorify his son. And that's actually the second point here before I get ahead of myself. He has the right to determine the purpose of the end. He has the right to determine the time of the end, but he has the right to determine the purpose of the end. If you'll jump down to the end of this passage, again after he spells out these practical things that we'll get to but before looking at him, he says, "In order that, the very end of verse eleven, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In order that, in what? In order that, in some things, huh? In order that, in everything." God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The end for which God created the world is that every knee would bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There will be a day when even his enemies, even those who have hardened their heart, even those who, who, who have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, every single knee will bow and everyone will acknowledge that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And guys, what salvation is, what, what, what happens at the moment of salvation is you, in some way, you might, you might not have heard it in those exact words, but what happens at salvation is that a human heart is awakened to that truth and you don't just acknowledge it and you don't just begrudgingly accept it, but you hear it and you love it. I mean, I grew up for years hearing Jesus Christ out on the cross for your sins. You can only, you know, ask him for forgiveness. Okay, got it, check, check pray the prayer. Yes, Lord, come into my heart. But it wasn't until one day, though, because I was not following him and truly trusting him day by day, that he grabbed a hold of my heart and I knew in an instant that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And my heart said, yes, yes. And, I, and the reason I want that to be practically helpful to you this morning is that God, it, if your heart doesn't say that, if you hear this truth about this almighty, glorious God who came and who died for us and who has the right to determine the time of the end, you know, who has the right to determine the purpose of the end, and you're like, I don't really know if I like that. I'm telling you this in love. Then you're not saved. And I'm, and I'm telling you that not in any way to condemn you but so that you can be saved. That you, that you can trust him. And Say, God, I need a new heart, I wanna love you. It only makes sense that we would love the most lovely thing in all of the universe, right? And that most lovely thing is not a thing, it's, it's a person, it's Jesus. It's what, it's what salvation is, Colossians chapter one, this is all throughout the Bible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. (coughs) Excuse me. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, he is the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How did he make peace? Making peace by the blood of his cross. He is good. This is where the entire history of the universe is going cannot be stopped it is the purpose that god has determined for the end um many of you guys know that we hannah and i recently the boys recently we took them along took the boys with us um we recently moved out to lake buckhorn and uh, uh i'm praying that god would give me a give me a pontoon someday but anyway that's another story. I'm I'm kidding. I'm not really proud. I mean, well, I'd kind of like it. Anyway, but we have a canoe right now so what we got. So it's the first step, you know, to get in a pontoon maybe. And uh, so the, we've only taken it out one time, me and the boys, but, and we just took it. There's a couple like ponds back in there. And I get, there's a lot of creeks and springs and stuff kind of feeding into buckhorn. And anyway, we took it in. At, me and Rowan and Ephraim, anyway, we took it out one time to the pond. And, uh. I was rowing, and, you know, I thought this was going to be this, you know, relaxing little thing. But really, it was like all I did was yell at them to hold still the entire time because I was afraid. Don't move. What are you doing? You know, they wanted to fish. I'm like, sit still. No. <laughs> Just hang it over the side. You know, the fish will come because I did not want to tip. Um, but anyway, but it was amazing to me that like, I, even using the word current would be an overstatement. statement because there wasn't any really way current, but I, I think there was like a drainage on the one end, and, and, and so there was maybe real light current. There was just a little bit of wind. But it was amazing to me how I, I had to constantly like get this thing turned where I wanted it to go. Like I was constantly fighting the current, even though the current wasn't very strong. I was constantly having to get this thing turned um, in the direction I wanted it to go. And, and my point is, guys, is that the current... That God, the sovereign God, the creator God, the current through which he, to which he is moving all things is to the glory of his son. Fight it if you want, but you will not go upstream. You won't. He is moving it to where he purposes to move it. And so, the most logical thing you can do is, day by day, trust in his lordship and say, God, I want to go where you're going. I don't want to fight against the current. I don't want to go upstream, okay? Just one more. Can we get that quote up there, Aaron, from Jonathan Edwards? Again, I, I... I got to keep going here. We got a lot to cover, but this is from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, back in the 1700s, he was kind of like the spark plug, one of the great awakenings um, in New England, Uh, super smart guy, loved the Lord with everything that he was, but he wrote a book called The End, For Which God Created the World, which is what we're talking about here this morning, and uh, you know, they just don't, we just don't talk like this anymore, okay? So I, we could spend a whole sermon just on this, but, but we won't. I'll try to unpack it here. But here's what he says. It's kind of a summary of his book, The End for Which God Created the World. In the creatures, that'd be us, knowing, esteeming, loving, rejoicing in, and praising God, so as we worship Him, the glory of God is both exhibited and acknowledged. His fullness is received and returned. Here is both the emanation and remination. I had to Google what remination meant, and uh, it it means returning back to the source, returning back to that thing from whence it came. It says, the light shines upon and into the creature and is reflected back to the source. The beams of glory come from God, are something of God, and are refunded back again to their original so that the whole is of God, and in God, and to God. And he is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Amen? All things are from him, and to him, and through him, and for his glory. And what Jonathan Edwards is saying is that God is the river source, and he is the ocean also into which the river flows. And our lives are caught up into his current whether we acknowledge it or like it or not, but I pray that we would like it. I pray that we would not just like it, but that, but that we would love it. That we would say, actually, if you'll look, the very last word of this passage. What's the very last word? To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever, then what? Amen. Can you say amen to that this morning? Can you say amen? Like, since can you say amen? That's what it means to be a Christian. Lastly, because he has the right to determine the time of the end and because he has the right to determine the purpose of the end, he also then, by implication, and this is what we see here these practical commands, he has the right to determine how we should live in light of the end. Okay? He is Lord over our, our lives. And there are four very practical things that's, that's eight, one hand, four, four very practical things. Uh, that Peter lays out for us here. They're very straightforward. Number one, how should we live in light of the end? Prayer should be a priority. Prayer should be a priority. Verse seven, the first thing that he lists, and this is, in the, there, there's four commands. Three of them are horizontal, having to do with our relationship with other human beings, other people. The first one, this is the only one, is vertical. This is where we start. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. But listen, not just for the sake of being self-controlled and sober-minded. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of what? Prayer. That we can, that we can pray. We got to go up before we go out. And if we flip that, guys, it just, it just doesn't work. Again, this is very practical. Peter's trying to shepherd us well here. And help us to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to God. I've had this I, my cohort for the E2 course met this morning at Burger King at 7 a.m. Um, if you guys ever wondered what all the people do at Boyden Worthman's every morning on Sundays when Boyden Worthman's isn't open, they go to Burger King. That's where that's where it's at. Anyway, um, that had nothing to do with anything that I have to say. But anyway, just just in case you wanted to know. But, but I t- shared with them this morning, I've had this little phrase rolling around in my head and it's, when I say it, I, I told the guys this morning, I, I, um, it's gonna sound like kind of a Captain Obvious type statement. You know, like, well, well duh, yeah, of course. But, but I think we miss this and it's been helpful to me lately. Here it is. Things happen when you pray that don't happen if you don't. Right? <laughs> Things happen when you pray that don't happen if you don't i can't explain this because you guys know man i'm i love talking about the sovereignty of god but man we misapply that all the time god is sovereign so you know my prayers don't really matter i mean he's going to do what he wants to do anyway wrong wrong that's not the way the bible talks The Bible never talks in a way that says, God is sovereign, so don't worry about it. The Bible talks like this, God is sovereign, therefore seek his face. And when you do that, he hears you, and he'll change stuff. And we don't always know exactly what it is that he's going to do, but things happen when you pray that don't happen if you don't pray. And so guys, there's a a level of responsibility here that he's given us. And not just responsibility, but, but of joy, of privilege. That we can come before this throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Listen, according to the power that is at work within us. Guys, we, we got we to gotta pray Do you guys ever get, can we just be honest here for a second? I mean, we're in church, so let's be honest, okay? can we? Okay. Do you ever hear testimonies or stories of the supernatural and how God has miraculously answered prayer? And do you ever get jealous that you've not experienced that? Anybody? I have. Guys, we don't have to stay there. Things will happen when we pray that won't happen if we don't. And if we seek his face, like there's, it's not like this special group of people that, you know what, well, God answers prayer for these people because they're just so holy and he loves them a little bit more than me. I'm just an, I'm just an average Christian. What does that mean? Right? There are no average Christians There are those that are sons and daughters of God and there are those that are not. not. And if we, his people, turn and seek his face and call upon his name, he's going to hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal the land. And I want us to be those people just very practical here. uh, Announcement slash practical application to this sermon. We Uh, are going to be moving to the new hub here this Wednesday night. My small church, Conrad's small church, if you're able to make it, we would love for you and your small church to come as well or just come by yourself. We're going to have a moving day from the hub in Sugar Creek to the hub out here just across the road there by Highland. Um, When we move out here, we are going to be switching our prayer times from Wednesday and Friday mornings at 5 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. We're going to be switching them to Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, as well as Sunday mornings here from 8.30 to 9.30. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 5 a.m. to 6:30 a.m. Um, I promise you, I do not enjoy getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning any more than you do. Like, if you're a farmer or like I know, you know, I don't know if Zach's in here, you know, trucker, he's up early hauling logs. Like, I, man, I my hats off to you because I can barely do it two days a week. Okay, it's not fun, but listen, okay? That's just a time that that and again, it doesn't work for everybody. But like, if you can make it to prayer. Here's all I want to tell you, again, things will happen when we pray that won't happen if we don't. You don't have to make it every day, you don't have to stay the whole time, and please, you guys know me, there's no condemnation here, okay, this isn't a drive-by guilting that I'm trying to throw upon you. If you can't make it, it doesn't work, I completely understand. But if you can, get up and come, because things happen when we pray that don't happen if we don't. Secondly, now he moves into these horizontal commands. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, the end of all things is at hand, so this makes sense. You know, let's, let's love each other. But I think he's talking here about a very specific uh, application of love, okay? He's not just talking in a, in a general sense. What he says is, he says, keep loving one another earnestly so there has to be an effort to p- put into it. Well, why would there have to be an effort put into it? Because it's difficult. Implication being, There's people that are difficult (laughs) to love. That's why we have to love earnestly. And then he says, since love covers a multitude of sins, and there's a very helpful um, parallel passage to this in James which helps interpret what he's talking about here when he says love covers a multitude of sins. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now listen, we're nobody's savior. The only savior is Jesus. But Jesus wants us to be his hands and his feet. And what he's calling for here in light of the end is that we would not just believe the American lie that love is just a feeling. And sometimes it comes and it goes and I fell in love and now I fell out of love and I fell in love with somebody else in our marriages or whatever. That's not how the Bible speaks of love. Love is a choice. There was nothing good that felt about, there's nothing good, there was nothing that felt good about the cross. (laughs) Couldn't get that out. There was nothing that felt good about the nails in the hands and the feet, but Jesus chose to love us. And what he's calling for here is that we would choose to go after people as much as, as within our power to turn them from their sin. And again, sometimes we can't, no matter what we do, we can't turn them. And one of the ways I believe that we can love people well is by just what he said before this, that we would pray for them earnestly and so love them to turn them, to turn them back. Guys, we can't, just, we, we, we can't just love when it's comfortable. Okay, we, we can't just love in, in, in the church. If you guys have ever been a part of a, played a sport or, uh, you know, coached a sport team or something, it's like, you know, sometimes the, the kids, they can, they can play good at home. They can play good at the court or, or the field or whatever where they practice, where they put the work in, where they train day in and day out, but they can struggle at away games. And man, as a coach, it's like, no, hey, we got to learn to win on the road. What I'm saying is like, hey, we, guys, we got to learn to love on the road we got to learn to love outside of our comfort zone. we got to learn to love people even when it's not convenient, okay? And it's obeying this command and, and seeing love as a choice, not just a feeling, that is going to help us stand with confidence someday when we, when we stand before Jesus. Number three, I love this. I love just the practicality of this. Verse 9 that in light of the end, because the end of all things is at hand, that we would intentionally seek to be a friend to strangers. Verse 9, let me show you where I'm getting this. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This word for hospitality, quick little word study here in the Greek. It's philos xenos. It's literally two words. Philos in the Greek means friend. Zenos means stranger. It's that you're the friend stranger. That being that you are the friend to strangers. And again, it comes across here as kind of like, 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 a, like a verb, like, like a command, like show hospitality, like do something. But in the original Greek, it's an adjective. The reason that matters is that he's not telling us to do something as much as he's telling us to be something, to be a friend to strangers, very practically, okay? And again, what, what I love about this is what would you do if, the, if you knew the world was going to end or you were going to die a year from now? We might think, man, I got to travel all around the world and I got to go, you know, continent to continent and country to country and tell everybody that I know about, about Jesus. Well, I, I mean, maybe like if God tells you to do that, or you could start by just being a friend to strangers right in the world in which you live, right around you. And Peter's saying, in light of the end, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a Philo Xenos, a, a friend to strangers to strangers. Here's one thing that I've noticed just over the years, okay? If people have open hearts, if they have hearts that have been touched by the gospel, open hearts lead to them opening their homes. But here's the other thing that's true, and it really is, is that sometimes you don't feel like doing it, but opening your home will also open your heart. Open hearts lead to open homes, but open homes also lead to open hearts. Not just for the people that you invite in, but even for your own heart. I was, uh, Francis Chan is doing this like uh, house church thing out in San Francisco right now, and there was a little documentary that they did about what what he's doing. They were interviewing this one lady, and you know, um, it's a house church movement, so they just, they're constantly opening up their homes. I love this one lady. I I don't know what her name was, but um, she said, uh, they, they were talking about how she hosts every week, opens up her home, and she goes, I hate this. she goes i she goes this is not me i don't like doing this she goes but every time i do do it i'm always thankful that i did open hearts lead to open homes and open homes lead to open hearts guys one of the marks of the culture of our church that needs to be present if we're going to exhi- again not just preach the gospel speak the gospel but exhibit the gospel live the gospel is we have to open and get, it's not just about like your actual home I mean that is a, a big part of it but like is your life open Paul said to the Thessalonian church we, we loved you so much that we ventured to share with you not only the gospel but our very selves our very souls that Paul in sharing the gospel opened up his soul his soul to these, to these people and lastly again, very practically, very practical um, in terms of how we can live in light of the end that God has purposed to glorify his son is that we would just simply take upon ourselves an identity as a servant, as servants. Now, let me show you here, verse 10 and 11, because he's talking about gifts, but don't lose the main point. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to what? To serve. Who? One another. If you notice here, you know, he, he he says, you know, that back in verse in verse 8, the word to love one another. Verse 9, the word to show hospitality to one another. Verse 10 here, the word to serve one another. And he says, as good stewards of God's very grace. And so what Peter here is fleshing out for us just in a very brief, it's, it's just wonderful how he does this, in a, just very few words he puts before us so much that we're to have an identity as servants. And he breaks it down into two categories. And again, these aren't specific gifts. The, the, these are the categories of the gifts, okay? He goes, he basically says, you got people who talk a lot and you got people who do stuff. He goes on and he says, whoever speaks, as one who's speaking the very oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves in the strength that God supplies. Now hear me, even if you have, if your gifting falls into the speaking category, that doesn't mean that you don't do stuff. And if your gifting falls into the doing category, that doesn't mean that you don't speak. But it means that primarily, this is where your efforts can go and where you're gifted and you've been gifted. How? According to God's very grace, like he's the one that's made you the way he's made you embrace it. Don't try to be something that, that you're not. And guys, another key to Christ being manifest among us, and for those of you that have been taking the E2 course, you know we've been talking about this week in and week out. We're going to be talking about it again tonight at our next big group meeting, um, is that like we have to awaken the spiritual gifts, listen, not that we don't have, but that are already inside of us, for God's honor and for his glory. He has not given us, remember the parable of the talents that he told, he's not given us these talents, these weighty things, for us just to bury them in the sand and to give them back to him when he returns. He expects a return. And one of the problems with, with understanding gifting, like we're so behind on this, in our culture and man I'm, I'm, we're trying as leadership here at Mercy Hill to, to get people into that so this is actually the primary, primary reason why we came up with the E2 course was just to in some way try to move people, all, people towards this end That many people don't even know that they have a spiritual gift if they know that they have a spiritual gift they don't know what it is if they do know what it is they don't know how to practically function in it like they don't know how to day to day use it and even if they do know how to function in it they don't have any opportunity to do so And it's something that we have to together overcome for God's honor and glory. Because again, notice the flow of thought. We're to serve in the way that he's made us, whether that's speaking or doing something. But it's all in the end. We're back at the end at verse 11. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen? Worship team, you can come up, and we're going to close. You know, there at the beginning, again, said, you know, the question we started with, that, you know, if you, if you knew the time when your life or this world was going to end, how would you live? I mean, I don't know what came to mind when I said that, but Peter has spelled it out here for us pretty clearly, and I think this is just tremendously good news. Even on a practical level, Because he's not saying, hey, you better go hold stadium crusades like Billy Graham and tell millions of people about Jesus. No, we just need to be obedient in these things. And again, it's all in light of or in view of the fact that, man, it's not a stopwatch, it's a timer. It's counting down. And as we close this morning, I just want you to think about the time that you've been given? And are you doing anything intentionally to steward what you've been given for his honor and for his glory? This past week, many of you guys know that uh, Sammy Detweiler, 13 years old, Eric and Maureen's son, um, he's an eighth grader at Highland. He's in uh, my oldest son Ephraim's class. You know, they're they're good friends. you know, he, he had a side-by-side accident and where he tipped it. And, he, and by the way, just a little side note, and it's like Eric and Lorene are praising the Lord because it's way quicker than they thought. Sammy's going to come home today. Uh, broken ribs, punctured lungs, collapsed lungs, um, happened a week ago tomorrow, and he's coming home today. But anyway, last, last Sunday evening, we were doing. I did with the older three boys. Just kind of a family devotion. And don't listen, like, oh, Eric, you, you're so holy. You do, like, man. We're, you do devotions with your kids. We, we like, we're lucky if we do this once a week. Okay. So just full disclosure. But Sunday night, we did this. And what I usually have them do is I set this timer and I have them read a chapter as many times as they can in the ten minutes till the timer goes. And then I just have them pick a verse and we talk about it. And I can't remember which one. To, which one of them picked this verse, but they were all reading Ephesians 5. And one of them, the verse that they wrote down was Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. He says, look caref- carefully then how you walk or how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And again, I think maybe this was just something more, more for my life than... For anything else because I didn't even go back the next day and and make it and talk about it again with the boys but we were just talking about like the boys like what does that mean make the most of the time and then 24 hours later on Monday evening Hannah and Ephraim and I went up to Akron Children's Hospital and and we walk into the ICU and there was Sammy this athletic healthy 13 year old kid eyes fluttering from being heavily sedated with tubes down his throat on a ventilator Sucking blood off of his lungs. And man, it just hit me. Again, that verse came to mind. Man, what are we doing with the time that we've been given? Because, guys, this isn't, I'm in no way trying to be like overly dramatic or, or anything like that. I'm just telling you the reality of what I hope that you've seen this morning. I'm just telling you the reality of what the Word of God says. That your life and the entire world. It's not a stopwatch, it's counting down, it's on a timer and I want us to be able to stand before Jesus someday and hear him say, and think about this, this is amazing that we even have the opportunity to hear this, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant and as we continue to sing and as we take communion, listen, I'm only responsible for me, really. You're responsible for you. I'm just asking you, though, this morning, on the authority of the Word of God, what does it look like for you to live with confidence until that day? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your Word. Like, it's so, you're so good that you don't hide your will from us.